0: what would it look like to claim your space as a leader and make a positive impact in your organization or community get ready to lead courageously and authentically from the core of who you are your leadership coach dr kristen albert will help you recognize how you are uniquely gifted to lead in your spheres of influence and help you become equipped and confident to handle the challenges of leadership Take your leadership to the next level and create your turning points in leadership. Let's get started. Here's Chris.
1: Hello, and welcome to Turning Points in Leadership. I'm Dr. Kristen Albert, and I'm happy that you joined us today. I want to tell you a little bit about the Turning Points Leadership podcast so that you have a context for what it is that we do here in the podcast. I interview folks who are changing the image of the leader from having to be someone at the top of the corporate uh, ladder or holding a title of privilege to be able to have influence. Instead, my guests are leading change in bold and inspiring ways. And I hope that you, my audience, will be inspired by them and consider how you can become a catalyst for change in your spheres of influence. And today I want to welcome my guest, educator, author and speaker, Dr. Lori Schwartz-Reichel. Hi Lori, I'm so glad we have this time together today. Thanks for being my guest.
2: Thank you for having me. I appreciate having the space to share my ideas and experiences to have them heard and be valued. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things I, I have dedicated myself to is especially amplifying women's voices, leaders, women who are leaders and amplifying women's voices because we haven't always been heard. So I'm very excited for you to be able to yeah, be able to <laughs> share that with folks. So let me tell the audience a little bit about you. Okay. So Dr. Lori Schwartz-Reichel is a champion of mentorship and motivation. Dr. Reichel's mission is to encourage educators and leaders to reflect on their teaching practices while making key changes to refresh strategies that represent a shared vision to enrich the curriculum, the classroom, the company, and the community. Dr. Reichel's unique experiences have permitted her to expand her multifaceted career into a portfolio as a clinician, conductor, instructor, writer, and speaker. She's the author of nearly 100 articles that have been reprinted with permission by more than 10 organizations worldwide. She designed these mentoring pieces into a graduate course that she instructs at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia and Vandercook College of Music in Chicago. Dr. Reichel also creates inspirational content for a monthly newsletter It has almost 2,000 subscribers, which is just incredible. Musically, Dr. Reichel has served as an adjudicator, clinician, and guest conductor for honor bands in a handful of states. Generally, for all areas and levels of education, Dr. Reichel has presented more than 100 professional development sessions and keynote speeches for educational systems, organizations, and conferences in almost half of the nation's states including international events. In addition, she's been interviewed for 15 education and leadership podcasts and is thrilled to be speaking with us today. Lori, I aspire to be you when I grow up. I just oh. want to say that. <laughs> oh
2: my gosh. Thank you so much. I, I aspired to be you when I was in your classroom. <laughs> so we'll give it back and forth to each other.
1: Oh yes. My sister and I like to call it the Mutual Admiration Society. So we can- <laughs> ourselves fully fledged members. <laughs> well, as you know, you know, you just mentioned when you were in my classroom, and I'm especially interested in spotlighting int- individuals who embody leadership without, again, without needing to have a title, a corporation, or a title of privilege to make a difference. And one of the things I've I've been fascinated about watching you, and of course, we knew each other back in the early 2000s. What year did you graduate from Westchester?
2: December 2001.
1: There you go. Okay, and I came there in January of 2001, so we crossed paths for about 12 months. But one of the things that I've been fascinated to know is how you made this shift from boots on the ground educator to doing what you're doing now. Could you tell me more about how you stepped into
2: leadership in this way? Sure, I guess I'll start with my teaching path because I feel like it's very important to learn what I was doing before I was doing my current work. So after graduating from Westchester in December of 2001, and I have to say, Dr. Albert, you were such a ray of light when you came to Westchester. Up until that time, you know, most of the professors and educators that I had were male and we had very few females and those that were there were much older and farther in their career. So when you came, it was like, oh, she <laughs> and you brought such kindness into the classroom space and you made us feel as though we were welcomed. We could share. I remember having a conversation with you in your office about a concern that I had and it reciprocated into everything that we did in the classroom in our student teaching where we went from there. So even though we only knew each other for about 12 months or so. It was an incredible opportunity to have you as a professor and a mentor in my life. So thank you.
1: Thank you <laughs> so, for those kind words. I, I received them. Thank you.
2: Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, after leaving Westchester, the next day I graduated on a Sunday and the next day I started a long term sub position, which lasted about a few weeks outside of Westchester um, in the Colonial School, Plymouth-White Marsh School District. But I eventually transferred to uh, Daniel Boone School District a few months later, where they had a position available. And I became the first full-time band director for that school system for five years. I was responsible for helping to grow the program. It had been a junior-senior high band, and it went to a middle school-high school program. I was responsible for creating, designing, and implementing that curriculum. And I had 200, One hundred and twelve musicians that I was responsible at the time so at the age of 23 you know I looked like some of my eighth graders at the time but I had to manage the space as this leader to help them aspire to what they wanted to do and to encourage them to continue on. I was there for five years. I loved my time there. I would have certainly spent my career there had I not met my husband, uh, who I, he's an electrical engineer from the Baltimore DC area and his job, and he made it very clear, (laughs) was stationed in that area. And that if we were going to continue a life together and wanted to, you know, build a life together, that one of us would move. And so I made that decision. I was ready for a change. And so I made that decision to move from rural Pennsylvania to suburban urban Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And from there, I went from teaching in a rural school where the demographics were very similar from ethnicity to race to special education, to socioeconomics, even religion, to a school that had 74 nationalities represented. We were a Title I school. We were placed into corrective action while I was there, which means we were taken over by the state because we couldn't pass, or certain population of students, so they say, couldn't pass standardized test scores. But even during that time, uh, we proved that music was a great place in their life and that oftentimes that's the reason why children come to school. I had an administrator who supported my teaching efforts and supporting the subject that I was teaching. Um, It wasn't an easy change. Um, So I went from teaching in a very large school where I felt very comfortable to a much smaller school, Um, completely different demographics, different needs. We had students who were homeless, didn't nearly have the resources that the children I had at the previous school did. But that was a blessing in disguise. And I needed to experience that opportunity to help a different population of students and their families and to embrace the uniqueness that those children, that community and their families could bring. Mm. And I walked in there and thought, if we're going to do this, I'm going to love them like human beings first, and then we'll make music second. And so once I realized that they just needed someone in their life that could support them, that could love them and could believe in them, the music came. And so after eight years of being at this school that had originally been a revolving door of band directors, we were the featured middle school band at our state music conference. And we shared our love of music and learning with the community. We went, if you're a musician, you'll understand this, but we went from performing grade one music to successfully performing grade four music at this middle school level. And the families and students just rallied around what it meant to embrace our uniqueness and to unify a cohesive sound. At the end of eight years, um, I was ready for a change. Um, I felt as though the program was able to maintain itself. I loved everything about who I was working with, who I was leading, who I was serving, but ready for a change and my principal was asked to open the 20th middle school in our county at the time and she was able to invite five teachers from the current school to open the brand new school with her so she asked three special education teachers the science team lead and myself a music educator band director and I thought that spoke volumes about where the importance of the new school was going to be. I took about three weeks to make my decision, but after I threw up you know, over eight, cried, I decided I was ready for a change and I was ready to help another community and to inspire them. And so I made that change. I was there for about a year and a half, loved every minute of opening that brand new school and developing that curricula and inspiring those students. But at the age of 37, I had my first child, Harper, And then two years later at 39, I had my son Hudson, and I made a very clear decision that as I was halfway through my career, I wanted to really focus on family. And so I went to my school system and asked, could I work part-time? After my 12 weeks of normal maternity leave, could I return on a part-time basis? This was in 2016. And so uh, they said, no. (laughs) Not just for me, but for anybody, they would not take a full time position and turn it part time. They did offer me, and I'll give them credit, they did offer me part time positions, but it was not in the area that I felt were my strengths, nor that I knew that I would want to leave my children every morning to pursue a different position. So I made the decision to go on leave and then eventually I left the school system. And during that time, it was my mission to stay as um, active within education also within music education and to remain relevant. It was important to me to stay up on all of the new teachings. I ended up going back and um, earning my administrator certificate and then eventually earning my doctorate a few years later and to offer what I could to music teachers. And it became very clear that what I had to say was resonating with other people. And so I started by writing a column for a music education magazine. And very soon some of my colleagues said, Lori, this work is transparent into any area of education or even outside of education. And so I started to write a little bit more generally then. And so my column was then picked up by the National Association for Music Education. And that allowed me to touch 130,000 music educators at a time and to share my work and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so I realized um, with the support of my husband, My family and many people that helped with childcare along the way that teaching does not have to be in the constraints of a school building or four walls. It can be anywhere. It can be within your home. It can be within your community. Just like you say, you don't necessarily have to have that title uh, to be a leader. And it took me time to develop that and to understand that. But once I grasped that concept, I just kept going with it. And so the opportunities have been tremendous. Now I have the opportunity to speak to educators, and not only within education, but other companies and leaders too, on how we can reflect on our teaching and leading practices and create a shared vision for those we serve, be it students, Be it teachers, if we're an administrator, our clients, our employees, and have that shared vision not only in our classroom as educators, but in our companies and within our communities. And it's just been amazing to see, and every day, every week, every month is a new opportunity. And for me, I like making key changes, and so it has been awesome to see where this continues to go.
1: It's just so inspiring. Oh, oh my goodness. Just incredible. Uh, Thank you. I I I'm a very, I'm a very much a feeler. So right now I'm just like feeling this this, this warmth that's just <gasps> just flowing over my body. I feel like I'm being just been um I've just had warm chocolate poured over my <laughs> head. Uh, <laughs> delicious. Yes, it's very delicious. But it's just um. So beautiful what you have, how you have named and claimed your gifts and been so very intentional about that decision that you made about staying relevant and wanting to 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 keep your finger on the pulse of what was happening in education and how you've expanded that into really this vision that it's that education is is happening again, just like leadership, just like I said to you earlier, before we came on the call, about from the time we step out of bed in the morning, I believe we're leading. And you're saying we are educating, right? Every moment of every day are opportunities for learning and sharing and growing and leading. And you're just embracing those. Um, It's beautiful.
2: Thank you. I I say, you know, it's a shame, though, that I I love what happened to me and the opportunities that are happening and what I'm sharing with others, but it's a shame that the school system and education in general didn't pick up on this. I mean, we're doing everything we can to make accommodations for our students and our learners from our youngest learners to our oldest, but we refuse to make accommodations for our employees. And until Mm -hmm. education makes that shift in their mindset, why do I have to be a full-time teacher? Could I share my classroom space with another teacher? What if you and I co taught that class? We see that happen in many other different subjects and areas and professions. You know, my husband has um, staff members and employees within his organization that are given that time to do if it's raising children, helping an ailing parent, going on for schooling, where they can still maintain some level of their position. And in education, we just haven't gotten there yet. And it is my mission to make that happen because we're losing teachers for many reasons, you know, at, at alarming rates. Alarm rate, and yes. this was right before the pandemic. And I think, geez, you know, even after the pandemic, we still aren't learning what we could be doing to accommodating some of our best educators.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, as, you're, as you're describing that, I'm thinking that, education in 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 terms of how we're dealing with um, our employees and how we're we're the lack of creativity is really i think grounded in fear and loss of control you know there's this fear if we are creative we're gonna have to do that for everybody you know and if we do that for everybody with that you know they're just um there's this fear of innovation um and I think it's really holding holding education back for what it absolutely could become, yeah. And think of the dividends that that would pay for the children, mm-hmm. in those classrooms. You know, if their teachers are um, treated with with kindness and respect and honor and and given um, given the space to create what they need, so that they can do their best work
2: and to learn from educators that are excited to be there if and I understand that my position is quite different and privileges that I have and opportunities that I have and I realize that that's different from everyone if I would have gone back into the classroom full-time I would have given it my all like I always do but would my heart have been there like it would have been no it would have been home with my children and Mm -hmm. i would have had that you know, hostility, I think, in the back of my mind at all times. And I know myself, that would have come out in my classroom teaching mm-hmm. and in the way I was building relationships with my students. But if we could accommodate our teachers, our clients, our employees, our staff members for what their needs are, then they're gonna come to the table, to the classroom, to the company with their best mindset, with an open heart and open mind and everything that they can give to those that they're serving. So I think we're missing the mark, and it's my mission <laughs> to help, particularly in education, to find ways that we can not only best serve our students, but best serve those that are serving our students.
1: Absolutely. I resonate with all of that, and I support you in all of that. I, I just, it's a, it's a critical mission at this time in our, in our history. Well, I really would like to also dig in now to some questions specifically related to your leadership and where you learned it. Um, and one of the questions I always like to ask my guests is what is um, what is one of your early memories of leading or leadership? It could be something that where you have, you remember yourself stepping into leadership, or maybe even observing another leader and either saying, wow, I, I want to aspire to that, or, ooh, that's not where I want to be. So let me open it to you. What are some of your earliest recollection, recollections around leadership?
2: Sure. You had sent me the questions ahead of time, and I was really thinking about these. And I just kept coming back to my parents and what I was learning, not only in my home, but also what they were doing outside of our home. So both my parents were and are. They're not working in the classroom anymore. They're both retired. But we are always an educator. So they were educators growing up. And my father was my elementary and high school band director. So talk about crazy weird when you had a crush on the boy that sat next to you in the saxophone section and your dad was the band director. Not cool, you know, when you're 16 or 17 years old. Um, But I could see beyond that awkwardness that time to realize that he was the greatest teacher that I had at the time in my school and still is and has offered support to me along the way but what my dad was he was a pillar of excellence in the community he taught for 31 consecutive years for the northeastern school district in manchester pennsylvania york county um and he retired with 35 years with his service time he was in the air force bands and he was just what he taught his students was a love of music making and not only that but what to expect in his classroom. So his expectations were extremely high, but we understood why. The reason was that we could make great music together. We could be unified as a cohesive unit and we could have unity. And we loved him and being in his class and making music because we understood the expectations. And he listened Mm. to us. He allowed us to, you know, offer suggestions and so forth. And then my mother, she began her career as a high school English teacher and she directed musicals in the Penn Manor School District in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Yep, Yep. and then she ended up transferring to Northeastern School District. Um, Unfortunately, she was furloughed. So the last five people that were hired at one point in their budget um, timing, uh, she was then laid off but immediately got a position um, in New York City public school system where she ended up going from teaching high school English to elementary reading. And so she was a reading recovery teacher and she she taught some of our neediest readers how to read and she was teaching students who I remember the stories that she would bring home students whose father shot their mother, whose parents were incarcerated, you know, who they were homeless, she was taking clothing and jackets into her students at all times. Um but I would because I had the opportunity to be with my dad all through school and on a daily basis, I saw at home that, you know, that bonded my father and I in a very unique way. And my mom and I did not have that unique bond. And I not that she would say anything, but I could tell, you know, I think she was a little jealous. I was probably a little jealous too that I didn't get to see her in teaching action. So I made it a point to as often as I could go to work with her for take your child to work day. Um, Or -hmm. if we had off of school, I would go in with her from time to time. And it was just incredible to see her working with these small students and how her dramatic personality came out when she was teaching them. She was so creative. She was funny. She was dramatic. And her students loved what they were learning because she loved them. And it became really clear to me that it didn't matter if they wanted to learn to read or they liked to read. They did it and they liked doing it because she loved them. And they felt included, they felt welcome, they felt heard, they felt valued in her space. And Mm -hmm. she did everything that she could to guide them along the way, not only as learners, but as human beings and leaders. So it's really, I I mean, when I thought about it, I kept thinking, oh, what about me? You know, a section leader in band or student government. No, 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 I just kept coming back to my parents and what they taught me, you know, in the home, in their classrooms, in the community.
1: And that that underscores the importance of of being that example right being that person that other people look at and say and and look at and and recognize how they could aspire to be like a leader that they admire um so important and we need we need those those people to aspire to because we certainly are are lacking in in some of that in our society today. Um, Yeah, the importance of of having those role models is so crazy important. I'm a little I'm I'm boy, I, I really admire the relationship that you have with your with your mother and father in that way. How awesome is that? I'm
2: fortunate that they are both still living. My dad is 77 and my mom just turned 73. Um, they're active in their communities and, mm-hmm. and with my children. And um, they're both still tutoring. My dad t- uh, teaches private music lessons in their home. And my mom still does some tutoring uh, with students for reading and writing and so forth. And, you know, they because they don't want to give that up. That was their love and their joy. And they want to stay, again, engaged, relevant as they can within the profession on a different level.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it always changes, right? As our lives, and you described it too, you know, as our lives change and we have new priorities and, um, we, we create new ways of, of engaging. And that's really awesome that your parents have done that. That's beautiful. So going beyond your, your parents, thinking about, um, cultural influences, how community, uh, how, I I interview some of my clients who, who have grown up in some really interesting uh, environments that have shaped them as leaders. And I'm curious if, if you could share any cultural influences, community influences that shape the way you view leadership.
2: Sure. I am. I'm going to go back to my parents a little bit because I do. (laughs) There's their picture (laughs) right up there. Um, It's so much of what I learned within the home. And again, I'm fortunate that we had a home. You know, one we had a home. Two, I had parents that were available at all times. I had two parents that were available at time. times. We didn't have family that lived by. Our, our closest family was more than two hours away. So the four of us, my mother, my father, my brother, who was three years younger than me, like we were a tight unit. Um, mm-hmm. We did a lot of things together. But my dad taught me so much about discipline. And I think that has to come from his military backgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. He was also one of 11 children. I'll talk a little bit about my Grammy Schwartz in a moment. But I think that had a lot to do with what the expectations were in his home, yeah. as far as having um, five brothers and five sisters. So he taught us a lot about discipline, um, not 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 in a militant sense, but just about the importance of you know structure and routines and mm. consistency. When I think of my father, the word consistency comes into play so much. Thirty-one years in the same organization, giving all he could to that organization, he kept showing up year after year. I mean. He had some awful administrators throughout his um, time, some great ones, he would tell you in a minute, were fantastic, but those that wanted to cut music, that wanted to change the the way education looked and where music education fit into the curriculum and so forth, but he kept showing up for his students. He also, um, I feel like he kind of coined this phrase, so what, you know, whenever we would have a challenge or something, he would say, so what? keep going. You know, anytime that I would be up for a new job or I wanted something different, if I didn't get it, I would call, you know, hysterical crying, you know, to tell my parents that I didn't get my da- the job. My dad would say, so what, Lori, you know, keep doing what you're doing and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I often use that phrase, so what, a lot. And he also taught me and said it to me on many levels that what you don't know, you'll learn. And if you're entering a new position, or if you're in an uncomfortable situation, meeting new people or learning new priorities or or responsibilities in a job that you won't, you know, what you don't know, you'll learn. Because oftentimes I would get myself so nervous about moving to a new place or starting a new job or a new position or responsibility. And he would just say, just you have every skill set that you need and you'll learn it along the way. And then my mom just taught me about being you, (laughs) embracing your uniqueness. Um, She was just so creative in what she did. She taught me how to think outside the box. Um, I remember my mom used to do singing telegrams when we were younger and she would take, you know, change the lyrics to words um, to incorporate, you know, who she was singing to or so forth. And she learned that from her father who was a a hairdresser and he would sing to all his clients while he was doing their their hair. But her phrase, like my dad's was, so what my mom's was, what you focus on expands. And so when I started my creativity with thinking outside the box for my making key changes job and company, she kept saying, keep at it, Lori, what you focus on expands. And from week to week early on, I couldn't see the growth of what I was doing. I couldn't see the development, but what I focused on kept expanding. Um, and I'm also so fortunate because my mother has proofread every single one of my articles that I have written through the years. And so I always send it to her. Um, but she also taught me the importance of writing our thank you notes. And right now, as we're recording this during the Thanksgiving season, you know, the thought of having an attitude of gratitude and always letting people know how much they mean to you, what you learned from them and so forth. So that's for my mom and dad, but then I did want to say a little bit about my Grammy Schwartz, the one who had 11 children, Um, and she always said, self-praise stinks, and it took me a lot of time to really understand this concept, and it's unfortunate because in the work that i'm currently doing a lot of it sometimes has to be self-promotion you know um right. letting people know what you're doing and i'm sure you yeah. you know you have experienced this a little bit too and that can be very difficult for us um especially you know if we don't think we're the best at it or even if we do think we're good at it making sure you know how do we say that in the most humble way right. and then you know nicest way and that that concept of self-praise stinks was a reminder to all of us, her children, her grandchildren, that we need to remember to compliment others. We need to remember to praise others. And, you know, we can think highly about ourselves and we can have hopes and high dreams for ourselves, but are we celebrating those along the way? You know, and this can be in our classrooms, this can be in our companies and so forth. She made us Always believe that we can make anyone feel welcomed, supported, and valued. And she taught us that by always having a seat available at the kitchen table where anybody could come and sit. You could bring your friend, you could bring your partner, you know, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you know, any co worker. And anytime that we were there, there were always people outside of the Schwartz family having a meal with Grammy Schwartz, which was usually at one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but that seat was always there. And if there wasn't, we would put a seat at the table for whoever was joining us.
1: Um oh, I, goodness. You, Amazing.
2: You you talked a little bit about this too, you know. However, I struggled growing up with I, I had these fantastic women in my family. My mom, both of my grandmothers, my godmother, my aunts and so forth but I rarely saw women in the profession that I wanted to be in. So I originally didn't go into music education. I started my career in business and I might talk about that a little bit later, but I started as a business major and then transferred to Westchester where I went into music education. And to this day, I really think it was because through elementary, middle school, high school, even in college, even now in community groups, I never, ever was conducted by a female band director. And so although people said, you're a great musician, I'm sure you're going to be a music teacher like your dad. You'll probably be a band director. I saw the work and effort that my dad put in. And I also saw that he had my mom at home helping to raise my brother and myself. And that that allowed him in the evenings to do jazz band, to play in a quintet. You know, My mom did some of those things too, but ultimately she was raising us at home in the evenings. And so to me, my brain could not understand how a female could serve in that role and also raise a family. And so I think at that really young age, because I didn't see people as band directors, particularly at the secondary level, And being successful and raising a family and being cool, you know, and all that kind of stuff and fashionable and everything that it wasn't possible. Like in my mind, I think that's what I thought. And I always had this entrepreneur sense. So I knew I wanted to go into business in some capacity. So I thought, let me just major in that rather than majoring in music education. And so I think that's why. And so it's become really important to me to show as a band director for most of my career that females can do this role. We can be creative in this role. Um, And now in my role as professional developer and speaker, um, making sure are we representing women when we are developing our classrooms, our companies, and so forth? And do we see do we always see the same male speakers or are we also seeing female speakers? Are we f- seeing female guest conductors for music groups? Are we seeing females coming in and helping to develop our educators, our leaders, and our learners? So that's a little bit about um, growing up, what I had in the home, but also my perception of what was happening around me.
1: Yes. And indeed, you are leading the way. I mean, when I, as I was reading your bio, you are stepping in boldly and confidently as a woman, right? And to all the, the young girls that are in your ensembles, this is their chance to see you see themselves, see the, the possibility of themselves being in front of the group and and a, and a strong woman leader doing that. So that's, you know, that's beautiful. Thank I you. Was, as you were telling that, I was wondering, did I ever have... And I, no, I, I did not, yeah. not in elementary school. I had n- female music teachers, but no, in any ensembles never had a woman conductor.
2: I had mm. female music educators. I had female professors, but I'm 44 years old. And to this day, except for at the Women Band Directors International Conference where we yeah. all got up and conducted a little bit, but that was in a clinic setting in an actual mm-hmm. ensemble. In 44 years, I've never had a female conduct me ever.
1: So. Mm. Yes, <laughs> I was a little I was a little disappointed. Uh, this past month, our local symphony um, hired a new director after a year of, or maybe even two years of auditioning, and there were some women who had, had auditioned, and I was disappointed that a woman was not selected as the conductor of the Lancaster Symphony Orchestra. But yeah, it just again. Mm-hmm underscores what it is that you're saying. Yeah, wow. Thank you for sharing all that. So when you think about, when you look around at people with with whom you live, you work, you interact, um, what would you like to invite them to think about? And I, I really like this question about inviting others to think about things that maybe they haven't really considered when it comes to leadership. What would you like people to, what would you like to invite people to think about more when it comes to, to leading?
2: Sure. My life motto over the last probably decade or so started as embrace your uniqueness. And it was mm-hmm. when, you know, I knew I was going to become a mom. It was when I was thinking about leaving the classroom full-time when I was trying to create this new concept of what an educator can look like outside of the constraints of a school and so forth. And so it was everywhere on my walls. I have it in my kitchen. It was my screensaver. Embrace your uniqueness. And as time went on, I thought it's not always about me. It should just be embrace uniqueness because yes, I want my strengths to come out, but I want the strengths of everyone that I'm working with and living with and playing with to come out too. So I shortened it to embrace uniqueness and that can have so many meanings. It can be From a person that you meet on the street to asking them questions. You know, what do they bring to the table? You know, so forth. And then um, my my company and my theme, are we making key changes to represent a shared vision, whatever that is, in our classroom, in our company, in our community, that best serves all? And I've learned this in many different ways. Um, when I'm giving professional development to educators, I talk about how, you know, 20 some years ago, when I started in my, as, in my classroom as a band director, I would open up my classroom to anyone. And I would go visit the special education teachers. And I would say, please bring your children, your students into our classrooms. They can listen, they can observe, they could even conduct, they could play the percussion instrument. And at the time, it was probably more than most of my peers were doing 20 some years ago. And at the time, I thought that was great. But I learned from a very dear friend of mine, um, she's the founder of United Sound, uh, Julie Duty, who talks about allowing students with disabilities to be a part of everything that we do. And I learned very quickly that the key concept that I was forgetting, and shame on me, was that although I was inviting these children into my space, into the our space as a classroom, I wasn't asking them if they actually wanted to learn music. Did they want to read music? Did they want to play an instrument? Did they want to participate in the ensemble like their peers were doing? And so I was not embracing their uniqueness. And I was closing off my classroom, even though I thought I was opening up the space at the time and being inclusive, I wasn't being totally inclusive in my space. That has a lot to do with what my doctoral research was on, what my thesis was, I'll talk about that a little bit too. But it taught me that are we going to every corner of the school, of the company, of the organization, of our community to hear what every member wants, or what their needs are, or how they want to be a part of our classroom or our company or our community. And how are we treating the people that we serve? Are we listening to them? And not only are we listening to them, but the next step has to be, are we adapting our practices to what they have to say? So if we're simply listening to them, so what? What are we doing with that information that they are giving to us? And then are we following up? Are we making sure that what they told us that they need or how they don't feel included or that they can't interpret things in a certain way, are we following up to ensure that we have improved, refreshed, made key changes in our practices? And then finally, are we thanking them And so Mm. my doctoral thesis was entitled the student voice perceptions of students representation of themselves in the classroom. And it was I interviewed students across the nation to ask them, do you see yourself in your classrooms Um, from a female conductor to a person of color to a person with a disability. Have you seen people that look sound or had had similar experiences, leading your classroom presenting to you conducting teaching you and so forth and the answers were amazing. Some of them were simple like yes or no but some of the students really went into depth to say no, you know, uh, this is the gender that I identify as and I have not experienced this gender in my classroom or I have had this disability or I feel depressed and no one has talked to me about that, you know, and so forth. So it's really interesting. And then, um, when I do a lot of my professional development with full school staff, I. Ask them and encourage them to think about things in three ways. One to reflect, think about like, look inside yourself. My one presentation is mirror mirror on the wall Am I providing opportunities, reflecting all and to reflect, am I? And it took a lot for me when Julie said, yeah, but Lori, you're not asking these children if they wanna learn to read music or play an instrument. So really reflecting on our practices. Two would be then researching what is needed to improve these practices. And it could be me providing resources for them, you providing resources, giving them recommendations of where to look. And then the the next part is, re um refreshing that classroom based on what we reflected on what students are saying what people in our company are saying and then following up and reviewing again to make sure that we are meeting the needs and so i always talk about it as um, reflect research and then refresh with that final review part and then Are we having an attitude of gratitude in everything that we do? And it's been really important. This is American Education Week, the week that we're recording this, and it's appropriate that it's the week before Thanksgiving. And every day on social media, I'm posting something for anybody. It doesn't have to be those in education to think about. And so when I give professional development to school systems and organizations, afterwards, I have them think about four things. One, knowledge. What did you learn? So even at the end of this podcast, your listeners could be thinking, what did we learn today? Was there something new or a new strategy or idea or way of thinking? Two, improvement. How can we do things better? What can we make better in our classrooms, our companies, our organizations? Three, who or what inspired us? Um, When you opened up today, um, Christine, or Dr. Albert? (laughs) You said, um, and I actually wrote it down because I want to, um, I want to quote you at some point, but you said, from the moment we step out of bed, we are leading. And so that inspired me just from what you said there. And then the final piece is gratitude. How are we showing gratitude and are we doing it in a meaningful way? I wrote a whole article about this. It's, you know, we're so programmed to say, thanks, thumbs up. Fist bump or put a little blurb on social media. Well, that might not be the way the receiver would like to receive the thanks. And maybe Mm -hmm. it needs to be picking up the phone or writing them a card or a letter or creating a video about why they were um, so wonderful to you and what you have to give thanks to. So it all starts with embracing uniqueness, listening and adapting. And then how are we showing gratitude for? those people um, within our classrooms, our companies, our communities, um, for what they are doing.
1: How do, you, um, how do you resonate with this concept of awareness, developing an awareness, reflection? Why is awareness and reflection so very important to a leader?
2: We can't make key changes in anything that we're doing unless we understand how the people that we're serving and leading feel, interpret, and learn. Those were the three concepts that I talked about in my doctoral thesis. How do students feel? Do they feel as though their background and experiences are being shared in the classroom? And that can come from the music that they listen to in their home, uh, to their church, to their community. Is that music being performed, rehearsed, or even talked about in the classroom? Um, So feeling, how do they feel? Interpret. And it comes back to, you know, when I was inviting students with disabilities into my classroom, I was thinking that they felt welcomed, you know, but... What were they interpreting, they were only permitted to do so much in that space. I wasn't allowing them I hadn't even thought about it shame on me that maybe they would want to learn to read music or play music so feel interpret and learn, and we all learn at different paces. We all learn at different speeds. I mean, I I didn't share this earlier, but I was in first grade twice. And so my parents held me back in first grade. One, I was a little bit younger because of where my birthday fell at. My birthday is August 23rd. um, So I was at the very end. But after sending me to Catholic school for first grade, my parents realized, one, that it was very far away um, from where we were living, but two, I was not receiving the speech help that I needed. Um, I don't know if you can pick up on that in my talking at all, but I was really having difficulty with my speech, and it comes out sometimes when I talk, I have difficulty sometimes pronouncing words, and my husband says I Often will use an incorrect word, and my my friends make fun of me all the time. But I think this goes back to first grade and some of the difficulties that I had, and some of the learning um, disabilities that I had with speech and so forth, and not always choosing the correct word for what I meant. Um, but that was just something, you know, that I that was some a learning disadvantage that I had. I don't even think people would think that now when they look at me. So when I share that with students, and I say, so what? if you didn't make that audition, or you didn't get that scholarship the first time, I was a twice twice. Um, and then I also you know, made that change in college because I wasn't learning in business what I wanted to do to find my passion. Um, so going back to your question, why is it important as a sense of awareness? Because we need to know how those we are leading and serving, how they feel, how they interpret, how they learn. Um, and we have to be listening to them to make those adaptations, because if we're not, then it's all about us. And we don't have all the answers, but we need to be making sure that their voice is incorporated into our classrooms, our companies, and our communities.
1: Absolutely. Um, arrogance, right? That belief that we know and the, that we know best um, can come across as um, cluelessness right that that we believe that we know better than anyone else and and when people see that in us they get frustrated in us as leaders we, it's it's imperative that we take the time not only to reflect on, on what others need but even to reflect on how we are showing up as leaders are we stepping are we being open and available to this learning um not just having the audacity to believe that we know or the unwillingness to to uh explore the possibility but just that importance of recognizing that we don't know what we don't know and we have a responsibility as leaders to make sure that we are tuning in to learn what it is that we don't know and um and I'll, yeah
2: go ahead i saw that with was um and i I talk about this all the time, are we going to every corner of our company or our community or our classroom Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. make sure that those students, those employees, those community members feel welcome in our space, feel included in our space and feel as though their voice is being heard. So are we going to every corner of whatever we serve to make sure that no one is being lost in the mix?
1: Thank you for that. Um, just such rich conversation. I'd like to ask you, uh, you know, you've talked about the importance of knowing your values and your guiding principles, right? And I would like to know what value or guiding principle really informs your work and is infused in everything that you believe or how you um, how you how you approach leadership.
2: Embrace uniqueness. It's the motto that I live by. And if everyone did that, I mean, think of that from Mm -hmm. the political lens to Mm -hmm. companies, to our communities. If we all just understood that everyone has something to offer in Any you know any any part of it, and that we all have strengths and limitations too. And yeah. I could I can make a list of what my strengths are, but I could also make a list of what my limitations are, and what I'm trying to make better about myself or my leadership skills or who I reach out to when I know that it's a limitation of mine. And I often use the word limitation as far as weakness because I think weakness sometimes has a, a negative sense to it, but limitation is could be something that's limited right now, but we're working Mm. on making it an improvement or making it a strength of ours. And so again, we all have different strengths and limitations. And it's interesting because when I do, I'll speak of this from when I'm guest conducting. So if I'm guest conducting an honor band, i just did one up in the Penn State area um, two weeks ago, but I'll always say to the students, regardless of how old they are, if they're middle school, high school, college students, even adults, I'll say, You know, listen. I might not look or sound or act like your homeschool band director. That doesn't mean that one way is right or wrong or that someone's doing something better or worse or one of us is you know, you know, know, better or, or whatever. It just means that we're different in the way that we do things and that you might learn something from me that you may not have learned from before or you might share something with me that your band director or teacher or leader does that I could learn from. And so realizing that there's no right or wrong sometimes, it's everyone's strengths and limitations. And how can we get better at what we're doing? And then the other part, and I think I learned this from probably my grandparents that, you know, whatever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, to be kind. And we can have very high expectations, we can have very unique. Um, and specific routines and structure for our days, our responsibilities, or how we do things. But are we smiling? You know, are we complimenting? Are we asking questions? I talked a lot about, you know, asking questions and then adapting. And again, you can have these high standards and still treat people with respect, with dignity, and with kindness. And so I think about you know, the different spaces that I've been in as an educator and a leader, and I see sometimes where the leader is not treating people kind, you know, they want them to follow their rules or their expectations or policies or procedures to a a certain point. And we all, again, learn at different paces, we all bring different strengths and limitations to the table. But are we treating each other with kindness? You know, I can say to you, you know, Dr. Albert, you're you're not quite doing your job, or you're you're not meeting expectations, or you haven't met the standard for this. But I can say it in a kind way that could offer resources, support to you without, you know, making you feel terrible. You know, without making the relationship or the um, atmosphere toxic. Um, so making sure that we are embracing everyone's uniqueness and we're treating them kindly along the way.
1: This message that you're saying right now, this is the message that has to get out there. This is, you know, this needs, your message needs to go viral and not just the message, but taking it and putting it into action. Just think about if everyone on this call or listening to this podcast now and those who will listen to it in the future, if every single one of those folks took the time to consider and embody what it is that you're that you're saying, this embracing uniqueness, treat each other with kindness and respect, and always make spaces for uh, create spaces and communities where respect and kindness. Uh, above all, there you go. Make space Make for them. growth. Yes, go <laughs> are listen to the podcast. Uh, Lori has a has a, a mug that she has that says "Make space for growth." I love that. But you know, this is the message that needs to get out there. And um, but if everyone who is listening to this podcast right now seriously takes this and makes this value their own and makes it a point to be intentional about doing this. We will affect change in the world. There is no way it can't happen. It and it must happen, and we must commit to that. So thank you for sharing that value. Um, yeah, it's it's difficult because we're human beings, but um, but it's your guiding principle, right? And you it infuses everything that you do, and it's so evident. It's so evident in just how you how you come across and everything that you've said. So you're living it, sister. It's really great. <laughs> Sax sister, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and if we finish up, what is one of your favorite leadership quotes?
2: Well, I always say my motto, obviously embrace uniqueness, but my quote, and I'm going to, I actually wrote it down because I don't want to say it incorrectly, but it is an Alice Walker quote. And I think about this, particularly in the last seven to 10 years where I've really been creating the life that I've wanted and imagined. And it is, Look closely at the present you are constructing. It should look like the future you are dreaming. Mm. And so making sure that everything that we do from letting people know what we want or how they could help us um, and in return doing the same. You know, when I first started this work, I kept a lot of things to myself. I was very secretive about it for, for whatever reasons. Those, you know, those were... Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't sure, you know, how this was going to unravel, how it was going to evolve. You know, was I good at it? Was I going to go far? Well, who cares? You know, now that I think about it, I wasn't telling people, you know, what my dreams were, what I wanted to do. And I learned it took a while that I have to share this, you know, and even if somebody wants to do the same or similar work, they are never going to do it the same way that I am. So yeah. even if I'm in competition with someone for a job or a proposal or a speech or something like that, okay, they can be great too. But I know in my heart that they are never going to say what I would say or with the values or... um thought or love that I would say with it. So am I telling people, are we sharing with people what we want, what we need in our lives, what could help them get to the next level in our job, our career, our families, our personal lives, whatever? And then are we doing the same in return? You know, I often say, you can tell when somebody wants to have a conversation with you, they will reciprocate the question. If they don't ask you the same question back then I don't care, you know, but are they, you know, doing that in return, and then are we setting boundaries and this is something that I'm still learning, you know, and the one thing that I've actually taken this, this particular academic year into mind is um, less texting. I want mm-hmm. a lot of my work to be email based because I can file it away, I can reference it, you know, I can get to it when I want to or when I have the time. Mm-hmm. With texting, somebody could text me and I could be out with my children or sitting at the dinner table and when that phone goes off, I'm going to look at my phone or or my watch or something. So, I'm letting people know, you know, If we're friends, you know, and we're, you know, joking back and forth, texting is appropriate or if it's an emergency, that sort of thing. But if it's work related, let's keep it to email or phone calls and I can get to it when I'm ready and I'm able to give my best self to it. And that boundary that I was able to set this year and I'm I'm still learning it, you know, and I still have to remind people has really allowed me to give my best self um, when I'm ready to give myself best self. And then just to end with, you know, keep going. Everyone's pace is different. Your your journey is not going to look like the person next to you and it shouldn't. Um, and just to be you and to embrace your uniqueness along the way.
1: I love it. Those are just wonderful, wise words. Um in the Turning Points Leadership Community, I have a group, or not a group, a topic that's on this personal leadership, self-care, this boundary, how important that is to leadership and you've got you have to cultivate that and and so one of the one of the things that I hope when people come into the turning points leadership community they will be looking for is support in helping them to create those boundaries right so that they can properly attend because what what was it that your mom said what you focus on expands
2: Expands
1: exactly so if you're focusing on all of the interruptions and all of you know all, all of the things that you really need to put a boundary around that's just simply going to expand and it's going to overtake your life if it hasn't already so just really sage advice thank you yes <laughs> thank you so what is the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about you and your work
2: they can learn more about me and my, the passionate work that I do at makingkeychanges.com. And they can email me uh, either through the website or laurie at makingkeychanges.com. And I would just like to thank you, Dr. Kristen Albert, for allowing me the space to share my ideas and to have them be heard and valued. Again, I'm Dr. Lori Schwartz-Breichel. My motto is embrace uniqueness and to treat people with kindness. And any way that I can help you, your school, your company, or your community, I would love to connect and collaborate with your listeners um, to design and present professional learning opportunities to those that they lead. So thank you for that space to allow me to share.
1: Yes, thank you, Dr. Lori Schwartz-Reichel. It has been absolutely a pleasure having you on today's show, and I'm very excited to see who will be touched by this and Who will seek to connect with you and how people will really be changed and how they see things and how they, um, and, and how they step into leadership in, in, as you are doing in bold and inspiring ways. So thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you to all my listeners. Um, please take a moment to like, to comment and to share today's episode so that we can encourage others to step into their leadership in these bold and inspiring ways. So thank you everybody for being here. Thank you, Dr. Lori Schwartz-Reichel. Everybody take care, be well, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye now.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to take a moment to like, share, and comment on today's episode. If you're not already a member of the Turning Points Leadership community, you can accelerate your development as a leader by joining today. You'll find the link to the community in the show notes. If you'd like to be a guest on Chris's show, send an email to turningpointsguest@liveworksatisfied.com. at liveworksatisfied.com. See you next time for more Turning Points in Leadership.